Say, do you have challenges in your life? Maybe difficulties in relationships, at work, or in your marriage, or with your kids? Who doesn't, right? Or maybe you have traumas from the past that just won't go away. Then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Goodbye Past Hello Purpose podcast, where we provide wisdom, insight, and tools to help you overcome life's challenges and live a life of joy. I'm your host, Debbie Kaminsky, a speaker, author, and coach. Now sit back, turn up the volume, and join us because you don't want to miss what's up next. Hey friends, we had a little trouble with the recording cutting out a few times on this podcast. It's powerful though. Listen to it and just ask for a little bit of your grace as we work out the glitches and try to make things um, work well for your listening. So um, just asking for some grace today on this podcast. Don't miss it though. It's just chock full of wisdom and information and ways that you can move forward in your lives to overcome the painful stuff. So welcome. I'm excited to bring you this next podcast. I'm Debbie Kaminsky and I am your Goodbye Past Hello Purpose podcast host. Um, My guest today is a sweet, sweet friend of mine. It is Christine Lawson. Hi, Christine. Hi. Welcome to our podcast today. I'm so (laughs) glad you could join us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Tell us a little bit about you. You have a very full life, don't you? (laughs) We do. Yeah. Um, I'm a mom of four kids, uh, married to my husband, Dan, and I'm a potter uh, in my home studio. Potter Uh, as in you throw pottery, right? I throw pottery on a wheel, not on the walls. (laughs) And yep. And I also uh, do some substituting in the public school district in my area yes what do you substitute in all subjects uh k through 12 my certification is in art ah i I didn't realize that okay Mm -hmm. Ah, so you've so uh you've always had kind of a passion and an interest for art yes since i was really young it was something my grandmother handed down to me and i just kind of grabbed onto it and it's been part of my whole life Mm. what did you what did you what was exciting what did your grandma hand down to you you know the most memorable thing that I have locked away is when I was probably four or five really young I visited their house in rural Minnesota and she had an easel sitting up in their master bedroom upstairs and what felt like a you know attic for me at the time mm-hmm. and I remember sneaking in there uh seeing her easel and she had a canvas sitting out and a halfway done oil painting yeah. and I remember actually sneaking into the room and going up closer to look at it it was of cedar uh-huh. trees in a winter setting and it was one of the most mi- vivid memories of my childhood with my grandmother um and you know to this day I I really do think about it in the winter whenever I see cedar trees um yeah yeah so that's um that was oh I love it yeah sneaking up there I mean that takes such a great (laughs) picture in our minds because we can all imagine that as kids sneaking to do something right (laughs) yes oh that's exciting well you have quite a story just a few Years ago, you felt like everything kind of got turned on its head. And I just want, I want to hear, I want our listeners to hear your story because you have so much wisdom to share with them as well through your journey. So um, tell us a little bit about that time when you just felt like it all kind of crumbled. Well, my husband and I have four children, as I mentioned a little earlier, and our oldest son, Isaiah, um, was four, uh, three when we started seeing some symptoms of him not feeling well. And we had just had our third child at the time, uh, an infant, Benjamin. And these symptoms at the time were 
uh, boggling. I was a stay-at-home mom by this time with three little children. Mm. So just overwhelmed right there with that. Yeah. That's a lot. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, so our, our children at the time were a three-year-old, one and a half, and newborn. <clears throat> and these uh, fevers were persisting over mm. kind of a three-month period, I would say. Um, and and we had him into the clinic a couple of times. He would complain that his stomach wasn't feeling well. And we just really didn't know what was going on. And I think for me, the mom mom intuition sort of kicked in around two months into it, um, December of 2011, when I just thought something wasn't right, period, mm-hmm. bottom line. I couldn't explain it. I had him into the doctor multiple times in a six week period. And by process of deduction, really with physicians, um, we had him in for some testing right at the early part of January, 2012. And you had something that the night before that something happened, what, what was that? Uh, you had that intuition. You were yeah. like, what is well, going on here? Well, early, oh, this is kind of leading up to that moment. In fact, uh, in 2012, we had him in for this tw- uh, testing that was um, to determine his the flow of urine because he was not wanting to go to the bathroom and he had been potty trained. Well, that test came back okay. And the physician mm-hmm. said, you know what, just hold on watch him for a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months and come back. And this mothering spirit in me just couldn't let it go. Well, one night, fast forwarding two weeks uh, to January 28th of 2012, I was in my kitchen late at night. My husband came in. Our son, Isaiah, had been rolling around on the floor that day literally rolling saying that his stomach hurt so I'd give him ibuprofen I'd give him Tylenol we'd put on a movie he'd lay he'd feel bad again so we'd repeat the process well that night late at night I said to my husband you know what if he is so sick that he just dies Mm. or what if he has cancer and we don't know and I frightening it was frightening. And I, I, yeah. I was sort of at my wits end, you know, the doctors had said, just yeah. watch him. We'd had him in probably five or six times mm-hmm. and all these tests were coming back normal. So that night my husband said, you know what, if he spikes a fever again, we will take him into the emergency room again, but we're not going to do it tonight. It was about one in the morning. Well, that mm-hmm. night, four or five AM, he spiked a fever of 104.7. And by 7 AM, we had him into the e- emergency room. That's a high fever. Wow. It was a high fever. And he uh, was in for the whole day, they ended up admitting him. And after the physician on call had worked with us the whole day, um, he said, you know what, I really feel like you need to be referred to a, another physician in the neighboring city. So we were sent up the following morning to a larger med- medical facility and endured two more days of really heavy testing and found out that our son had stage four high risk neuroblastoma cancer. Wow. And he, um, for the next year and a half, endured uh, really, really intense chemotherapy, radiation, stem cell transplant, surgery, uh, immunotherapy at the time was brand new. And that was at the very tail end of his treatment. Mm-hmm. So he had a huge uh, year and a half of treatment and it changed who we are. It changed our family dynamics. It changed how we operate in our marriage. It changed everything for us. Yeah. How could it not? How could it not? Everything gets uh, turned upside down now and Mm -hmm. all the attention and all your energy is going into this, not to mention just the emotion of what's going on. Mm -hmm. So Christine, how, how did your family get through this? You know, for us, there were three things that really 
were huge pieces of us making it through uh, our daily life and our our year and a half of treatment with him. The first and foremost for us in our in our life is we had faith that had been a foundation of who Dan and I were, our, my husband. Um, however, that faith exploded for us. We began to experience a faith that we had never really understood or known before at a whole new level. Mm-hmm. And for us, that faith is in Jesus Christ. Um, mm-hmm. We we experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit like we had never understood before. So for us, mm-hmm. that was the first and foremost, for sure, how through that time period. Uh, secondly was our family was incredible. We had family that helped us with our youngest kids and family who came and stayed with us at the hospital through the Ronald McDonald house. Uh, we had lots friends, of support, lots of support. Yeah. And the third piece was really our, our marriage, having my best friend and my partner in crime mm. right next to me. And yeah, you two we, are a little like that. It's we true. are. We have our little <laughs> sneaky ways, you know, but um, those three things are really what got us through that time period. And yeah. I think as individuals, we had our faith. As a couple, we had our friends and family. And as a, as a unit, we had each other. And those three things were essential, in my opinion, in us getting through it and not crumbling. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Oh, talk to us a little bit. I mean, it just, what a journey, what a ride just to what you've told us so far. I mean, all of a sudden you've got a child stage four cancer and -hmm. you've been, you were doctoring for how long before that actual diagnosis came out? Um, roughly three months. And you had some, uh, signs that something was awry. What can you tell us some of those things that hindsight, which this happens mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Um, hindsight. You're like, and uh, now you go, well, I can see this. What were some of the things that happened? Yeah. Some of those things hindsight are that we had a three-story house we were living in and our son stopped wanting to go down those steps. That was a big thing. Later we, we found out that he, and the amount of cancer, 80% of his body was covered in cancer. It was on his bones. Oh, it was in his bone marrow. It, he had a wow. tumor. He had it everywhere. Wow. And in his pelvic region was where most of the cancer uh, sort of settled because the tumor had been right on his adrenal gland. So it, it was just, it had oh. metastasized into that area first. Mm-hmm. So and you, down, yeah, and yeah, go ahead. Well, no, for, for us, the looking back, it was realizing, well, no wonder he didn't want to go down the steps. It, any, any movement in his legs were hurtful. If we asked him to sort of bump down the steps, all of that would have just exacerbated the pain that he was already feeling in his pelvic region and his, in his hips and thighs. So um, that was one thing that we looked back and say, man, that could have been a cue for us. The yeah, second- well, well, you know, when you don't, you can't know what you don't know. And I just exactly. tell people that all the time, uh, you know, that we don't know these things in hindsight, then what we end up doing is we end up beating ourselves up and going, why didn't I know? Well, because you didn't and it's okay. Yeah. And your story is just, it's so, um, it's so powerful in, in bringing that point home. You have these signs, you were doing what you needed to do. You were taking him to the physicians. You were trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You just had a new baby. You were exhausted. And, you know, sometimes kids regress when they, when a new baby is born. And so it's like, well, did you want my lap? Did you want my attention? <laughs> What's yes. going on here? So there's all kinds of pieces in that, aren't there? Yes, there are. Yeah. So what else, um, what other kind of indicators uh, looking back or what, what you told me something about an angel. Mm. Can you share that? Yeah, that was quite an interesting experience. Uh, It was November 12th of 2011. So this is a month and a half before the diagnosis, right? Yeah. Or two Mm -hmm. months. Yeah. Right around two months or so. Um, we were sitting at our kitchen table or my husband was getting ready and heading off to work that morning. We'd had breakfast as a family at our, at our kitchen 
table and um, he headed out of the house and I was ready to go down to our laundry room area and kind of get going with the day and um, put my youngest child on my hip, the laundry basket on the other hip and said, okay, gang, let's go down to the laundry room. It's time to... So we went downstairs and <clears throat> when we got into the laundry room, my son, oldest son, Isaiah followed me in there and he said, mommy, who was that white man sitting at the table with us? Wow. And I said, what are you, you mean, daddy? He wasn't, I, daddy wasn't wearing white, honey. What are, what are you talking about? And he said, no, that big, huge man who was wearing all white. And <laughs> f- for me as a Christian, I, I, in the moment, in that moment, I had a, a thought, just ask him if it was an angel. Mm, wow. And I said, well, honey, who do you think it was? And he said, I don't know. I said, well, do you think it was an angel or was it Jesus? And he said, I, I don't know. He mm-hmm. had bright blue eyes and wow. really long hair. And I said, well, Isaiah, I think it could have been an angel that just visited us. Wow. And wow. I'm sitting that, here with goosebumps. It's yeah. Like, and wow. after that, we um, kind of went on with our little morning, getting laundry and playing with some toys. And I called my mom later that evening, and um, I had actually posted that on Facebook, you know, just as a young mom doing her daily rigmarole, kind of those uh, little things that stood out mm-hmm. as sort of significant conversations in the day. And when I called my mom, I told her about that, and she sort of tucked it away in her heart and Um, she told me later that she had gone out to coffee about a week after that. So right before Thanksgiving that year, 2011, and she told her best friend, she said, I, I don't know, but I, I have a really strange feeling that if Isaiah was visited by an angel, that, that something is coming. Mm -hmm. And she told me that after we found out the diagnosis two and a half months Mm. later that she had this sort of premonition in her mind in her heart that the lord had put that angel in his day in his path in order to strengthen him for what was to come and to know the presence of god was with him as a three-year-old Yeah, that isn't that just amazing? It's yeah. amazing how our God works. It mm-hmm. kind of blows my mind every day. Yeah. So did he, did he see this angel more than once or was it just that one time? You know, he did. We had uh, various uh, visitors, as we called them, and it was part of our conversation with our son. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there was one significant uh, time when we were down at uh, Mayo Clinic in many, uh, Minnesota, when we were in a bathroom of all places, and <laughs> my place, son man. said, "Mommy, uh, my visitor came last night." And I said, "Who? Who is your visitor, honey?" <laughs> and he said, "Well, my angel." And I mm. said, "What are? What are? Who? Who are you talking about?" And he said, well, his name is Foreman and Foreman. he's 30 years old and he had bright blue eyes <sighs> and he was wearing all white. And my, my father was a construction uh, builder, uh, carpenter. And I know that on job sites, the man who runs the job <sighs> is the foreman. Oh my goodness. And Girl. for me, Ooh. my tentacles went up, my goosebumps wow. went on high alert. And I knew, and I took refuge in knowing that Jesus had visited him once again, right before this massive surgery and assured him that his foreman, his captain of this ship was right there with him and that he <laughs> wasn't letting anything go unnoticed, unnoticed and um that he had you know his savior right right along with him yeah the whole time and so was that something then as he went through his treatments um is that something that carried through yeah. with him through mm-hmm. the treatments and that you talked with him about and things like that to comfort 
Yeah. Uh, he would always bring it up. We would. Okay. Yep. We talked about it as if, <laughs> as time went on, as if, you know, Foreman was a part of our everyday kind of life. And whenever he'd bring it up, we'd say, yeah, was, was Foreman there with you? And yep, Foreman was there. Oh, so, wow. Um, he had significant dreams that were um, following in that time of treatment, which we didn't ever really write about publicly because we didn't sort of want to get the, oh, backlash from whatever people mm-hmm, might have thought of that. Mm-hmm, but we mm-hmm. journaled everything mm-hmm, in, our, yep. in our private journals. And the dreams were fascinating that he had where he was seeing Jesus face to face and Jesus would give him a message to tell somebody or that gave him a message of comfort. And then he, he did see um, other angels and he'd say it in the car. He'd say, do you see that angel right over there? He's right by this. uh, Oh my goodness. Yeah. It it was fascinating. So we had the conversation open and we talked about it whenever he was ready to talk about it. Angels are real people. Angels are real. (laughs) Yes, they are. Oh, wow. What is what a story. I love that, that part that interweaves how Jesus was with him the entire time he was always carrying him. And Mm -hmm. I know your faith is strong. Uh, Your family is very prominent in the faith your was it wasn't your dad a, is is a minister right yes yes he is so yeah. you've grown up with a very strong faith mm-hmm. yeah and all of your family mm-hmm. is as well and I love that about your family yeah. you know Christine I'm remembering one of the things that you did was you got on caring bridge mm-hmm. and you would journal mm-hmm. and uh, I remember very well that post I still to this day when you walked into the room and uh, I was a, I was a fairly new Christian. So I was walking along this journey with you with lots of doubt and lots of questions and, and lots of um, wow. I mean, I was just blown away at how you didn't get mad at God. Well, you did sometimes there were times (laughs) when you were mad at God. Am I right? Yeah. 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 And, and ask that question, what's going on here? Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But there was one time in particular that you wrote about when you walked into the room Mm -hmm. and you looked at your son Mm -hmm. and you said, we're doing this to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. That was a really the worst day of my life uh, up until this point and the most vivid day for me in his treatment I had not been up to the room for about uh, 18 hours because we had the two younger kids and we were uh, shuffling you know playing this shuffle game with being at the hospital and having a nursing infant and having and being at the hospital in in another city while you lived here in in the Fergus Falls area. So it was like, wow. Yeah. And this particular uh, portion of his treatment was at Mayo Clinic in isolation in the pediatric ICU unit. So we were not allowed to have anybody else, not our children, no family, no friends, nobody for a five week time period. Five weeks. That is, that's just unbelievable. Yeah. And how did you manage through that? Uh, you know, Hour by hour, thankfully, we had incredible physicians, incredible nurses. The the piece that does stick out in that time period is that they do, with children going through stem cell transplant, right away hook you up with a psychiatrist Mm. for your your child. And that psychiatrist um, brings him, usually a team member along with them. And so you have somebody checking in on your mental health daily. So there is a team there that walks you through this and is by your side. Yeah. And we had Uh eight physicians. uh, Wow. (laughs) A part of this, you have infectious disease control. You have your primary stem cell transplant physician and their whole team. You have psychiatry. It's an incredible effort during that time uh, by the medical staff and you as parents and you and your child to make this 
uh, happen and to see full recovery. And so one particular day, I had not been up there for about 18 hours. And mm-hmm. during that time frame, the worst of the worst sort of settled in when you're talking about stem cell transplant. He had basically mouth sores all the way from the throat through the entire intestinal tract and mm. out through the, the rear end. Wow. And so as I walked into the room that day, it, it was at its nadir. It was in the bottom of the barrel. He was yeah. really, really sick. He had nothing left to give as a, mm. as a four-year-old uh, by this time. And I walked in that morning and the whole team of physicians were there. Um, there was eight doctors in the room, my husband sitting at the bedside, two nurses and my son sitting in the bed and his mouth was drawn long open and he was drooling and he had a bowl right under his mouth and he had eyes that were so dead and empty and his, his flesh was gray. I mean, he looked like death was so imminent and right in that room. And I, I walked in, I looked at him and this just overwhelming emotion came over me and I passed by the end of the bed, walked right into the bathroom in that room. And I shut the door and I just began to scream. I was screaming. Mm. I didn't care who was there. Mm-hmm. I had, I, I just couldn't handle seeing my son yeah. after all these months look so, so sick. And I really was sort of tearing at my flesh. Like mm. I was scratching and pulling yeah. my clothes and just having a full out fit yeah. because I had this thought that we had chosen to mm-hmm. do this to our son. Mm-hmm. We are the ones that decided to put this medicine in him. We are the ones that gave the go ahead, gave the green light. We were making the choices on his behalf. Mm-hmm. Which now, I'm sorry, go ahead. No. So it, it, it was a moment of just total breakdown. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which now hindsight, you know, you didn't really have a choice. That's right. right. We, there I really knew, I knew. Choice. Yeah. I mean, I knew but, in, in the back yeah. of my mind that we had, of course, we would have given him treatment regardless, but it was a, right. a moment, I guess, yep. of just facing what our choice had been and seeing it come to full fruition, that it was going to make him sick. And it, that day, that morning, I saw sickness and death mm-hmm. in my face, right yep. in front of me. And just that emotion as a mom looking oh, yeah. at your son mm-hmm. and, oh, you know, just wondering, is he going to die? Is he going to make this? What's, Mm -hmm. where are we going? And how do, how will he get to the other side? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember reading that and I remember your faithfulness in that, Christine. Yeah. And and how you were, you were, you were crying out to God beyond that pain that was really gut-wrenching soul pain for you. Mm-hmm. that brought you to that place where you just couldn't hold it together anymore. Yeah. And so understandable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, that day, I think for the first time, I had a new understanding or a new sense of what it meant when when you read in the Bible that sometimes uh, the the I don't know the passage exactly, but you read in the scripture that the Holy Spirit groans on your behalf when you don't know what to say. Mm, Wow. And for me, that moment, that day, the, the Lord 
interceded on my behalf because my deepest groaning could not be expressed with words. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that suffering that I yeah. experienced in just watching my son, mm-hmm. I had a moment later thinking that's what Jesus' mother, Mary, maybe felt when she watched her son get torn to pieces and absolutely then to just hang on a cross and look at death in the face yes and so for me it it was a moment where my faith became very real though I can't tangibly touch Jesus I can't tangibly talk to his mother I I was able to know and understand in a brand new way that somehow supernaturally I'm connected to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You said that it was the, you saw faith in a way you've never seen it before when you were going through this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that way was just this supernatural experience mm-hmm. and yeah. the witnessing of I mean, because he did turn around and, and Isaiah is a vibrant little boy <laughs> at this, at this yes, time. Yes, he is. And, you know, those are the hard times in life. And then we can't see the ending. I couldn't no. have even dreamed that yeah. he would be a soccer player, that he would be getting A's in school, that he would have friends, that he would be running and jumping and lively and vibrant. In that worst day of my yeah, life, I right. couldn't have looked ahead. No and, way. Um, I can't believe some days that he is here. We say oftentimes as we are thanking the Lord or praying or um, talking with friends that we're so thankful we have four kids and not three. Yes, yes, yes. What did you did you experience or how did you? Because I know you did. How did you experience the power of prayer through from others through this journey? You know, that's a really great question. I actually, the most incredible experience I have ever had as far as feeling physically feeling something that I cannot explain is the day Isaiah was diagnosed was February, excuse me, January 31st of 2012. The following day we had people around the globe actually praying for Isaiah because my, Mm. like I, we, we know people all around the world and we had put on caring bridge um, what was going on and people just rallied around thousands and thousands. I mean, I think to this day, there's 350,000 people that clicked on his page. Wow. Following (laughs) our story, his story. And that day, I was in the room with him. We had finished all the testing and we knew people around the globe were praying for us. Mm-hmm. And I, I was in the room and I had to go out and talk to his oncologist. And as I exited the room, I remember going into the hallway and saying, Oh, something is different out here. Mm. And I talked to his oncologist probably got a cup of coffee. I walked back into the room and actual peace and calm and uh, just this incredible flood that I can't really explain just enveloped me in that room with him and with my husband. I, I, I physically felt at peace that I cannot explain. Wow. And yeah. And God, God works like that. He does. The Holy Spirit works like that. Doesn't it? Absolutely. Ah, I've had those experiences in my own life and it, it is, it's a supernatural thing yeah. that you can't even explain. Yeah. You, you just can't, you have to experience it. Yeah. So as I watched you go through this journey and everybody across the globe watched you go through this journey, um, uh, I know for, for a fact, I sat there and I was like, oh my gosh, 
how can she still praise him? You know, the Lord, how can she still be, you know, giving the glory? How can she, I, I just remember thinking, how can she do this? But, you know, I was there mm-hmm. and I kept clicking on the Caring Bridge connection to read about it. I'm, you know, I'm not sure why. Well, I guess I do <laughs> know why. <laughs> because that's how God works in bringing us back when we've gone so far from him because he's mm-hmm. always pursuing us. Yeah. So what do you have any thoughts about how Isaiah's journey and your um, transparency and your. Uh, just the way you put it out there and the way you continued to praise our God, um, how that affected other people. What do you, what do you know about that? Yeah. um, The foundation that we had in our faith really propelled us when we were in that season, because the scripture tells us that we will have trials of many kinds. Yes. It doesn't Mm -hmm. say that we might or that Mm -hmm. it's possible. It says we will have trials of many times. So the foundation that had been set in my life as a child, as a teen, was that I knew things were going to come up in my life. And those were the times where you walk with the Lord through the fire. Isn't that great? And the, the impact that we saw through Isaiah's journey still to this day is impacting us. Just last week I was at the clinic and some nurse said to me, I, yeah, I, I know who you are because I followed your son's story. And this is six years later. Right. I didn't know this woman, but she knew my last name and she knew Isaiah was my son. And Mm. there are people that I will never know that followed his story and the impact that it had on them at that time was that I, I believe they saw somebody walking through something hard and not give up, right? not give up on hope that Jesus was still real, that he does still heal today, that he never leaves us. He doesn't forsake us. And somebody needed to hear that. In this day and age where things are so confusing. Right. And we give up on things so easily. And yeah. And especially, you know, when things don't go our way, right. which we expect to do, we just, we give up and we're like, sure, God, if you were a good God, then you would X, Y, Z, right? Yes. And that's really when we need God is when we're in that dark, dark place to call out to him because he will just that peace will come over you if you allow that, that to happen. Sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. And in the moment you said something really, really, really powerful. The other day you said, um, when you're in it, don't figure it out. That's right. Don't try to answer the, why this is happening or, Mm -hmm. you know, what's my lesson in this. What can you say about that for our listeners who might be going through a really difficult time? Mm -hmm. Well, I would say it in this way that we couldn't have seen six years down the road, what was on the other side of this difficult, difficult journey that we were in with our son. We took it one step at a time, one minute at a time, one hour at a time, one day at a time. And we all know in our mind somewhere that we can get through difficult things. However, to try and find the meaning in that time is not necessary because it's a time for you really to fall apart, have a fit, let it break. Yeah. We are not made out of, out of steel we are flesh and bones that break we cry we have tantrums and it is okay that we walk through these seasons of difficulty and not be okay right I always say that um, in falling apart is where gather yeah you know we just got to let ourselves god didn't give you tears for you to hold hold them in all the time you know the scripture says that he collects 
our tears in his hands. Mm, it, that's just a beautiful picture, isn't it? Yes. And if his hands are outstretched to us and he's waiting for those tears, yeah. then why are you holding them back from someone yep. who's, who's waiting for you to express all of it? He yeah. gave you all the emotions. He gave you anger. I mean, <laughs> you know, he gave you tears. He gave you joy. He gave you peace. All of these things. And he knows that we are broken people. And right. Yeah. So, yeah. And even, you know, I always, I always refer to people, even Jesus got angry. Absolutely. Right. In the temple and overturned tables. And, you know, there's that whole piece about that. And God expects us to have our feelings. And I'm, and I just want to give our listeners permission to have their feelings. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, as you say, he's got his hands outstretched and he's waiting mm-hmm. to just hold our tears. So yeah. that's just a beautiful picture that the scripture paints for us in yeah. that. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so you know that you touched so many people all over the world. Now, how, I guess, you know, my question too is, how are you guys doing now? I mean, that was <laughs> tough. What, yeah. How did you get from that and knowing that Isaiah was cancer free to six years later, six, seven years later, did you say six or seven? Yeah. Coming up on seven years, seven years. How, what, what transpired in, in that time? What was uh, that like? Yeah. So this is a part of the journey that we do add in addition to his story because it's a part of the journey that is like a puzzle and it's another part of the puzzle that has yet to be um, completed. Mm-hmm. And that is walking post treatment through this journey is uh, something that we really didn't have a guidebook for. There's no protocol or procedure. There's no clinical trial for walking post treatment with your child. And so we have been navigating the six years post treatment uh, through counselors and, uh, our family, church family and our family, we have faced a lot of, um, anger management with our son, Isaiah. And understandably so. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. Also, um, some of the post-traumatic stress that he experiences also is something that my husband and I experienced and, we didn't really know that that would be part of the post-treatment process, but thankfully we had people around us that said, Hey, you know what? This is what, this is what it looks like. And I, I do think it's a conversation that many people going into cancer treatment don't know that, that the process of cancer treatment the aftermath and the after effects is still part of that journey. Yeah, for sure. Well, it it's traumatic what you went through, not only you, but Isaiah and mm-hmm. feeling, feeling completely helpless. Yeah. Um, and, you know, feeling miserable for how long did his treatment go on? For 18 months. And then you, months. you have about a year of three month checkbacks. Yeah. And so you're still in this sort of is the cancer going to return? The rate of um, cancer returning is for Isaiah and his diagnosis of neuroblastoma is at 90% reoccurrence rate. Is it really? And is that something that happens early on? Or Yes, or usually within that first six months. And so you kind of are in wow. this sort of, oh, I don't know, haze or... Uh, yeah is it going to come back? Is it not going to come back? And, you know, anxiety and fear and constantly. Yeah. And so we navigated those thoughts uh, (laughs) as best as we could. And I would say that, you know, our, again, tying this back into our faith, we had a faith foundation and we also had a practical understanding that we we needed help. We needed to have some good counseling for us to sift through the traumatic experience. 
That's so wise that you were able to acknowledge that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause a lot of people, they want to, they want to be able to number one, put it behind them and never look back. Mm-hmm. Right. Because right. it's so traumatic. Uh, and which we do with any traumas, we want to just put it behind us and not look back. And really that's when it becomes a beast that's sometimes bigger than we know what to do with. That's right. Yeah. So, so when we talk about uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome, because that's exactly what you guys were dealing with at that point, yeah. not only you, I remember you and I having a conversation You and you were like, Debbie, he doesn't want to put his seatbelt on in the car. Yeah. And do you remember that conversation? I do. I do. And I said, then it's okay. That's right. You know, I was like, let it be okay. Yeah. Well, and, <laughs> and that it, kind of, that, that for me was somebody gave me permission for, for things not to be okay and to not be as I had preconceived them to be that that once you get that no evidence of disease uh, statement that everything was going to snap back into place and right somebody gave me permission to realize or think or that that I can't control some of these things in the aftermath and that's okay Right, 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 right. And so then, and then to take it to the next step and go, let's get some therapy on this so that we aren't swimming in the pit of all that stuff. And so what were some of the things? So let me just talk for a minute about post-traumatic stress disorder because it's, or syndrome, uh, because it's a, it's a big deal. And I think in our culture today, just because of Oh man, the amount of violence we have and the, mm-hmm. and the, the access that we have to it right now. And what's right up on your Facebook or your, uh, not your Facebook, but your, your server, when you go into your emails is the first bad news of the day. Right. Right. So we live in this world that really feeds uh, on fear and mm-hmm. fear is a, is a marketing tool. Right. So people use that uh, as a way to market to us. So let's just talk about um, what some stress issues are and then you can tell us a little bit about what you guys experience memories come back to us uh from the traumatic event and it might even come to you in your sleep Mm -hmm. as nightmares or flashbacks and sometimes it feels like you're reliving it it's and and that's just the hardest thing you wake up in a sweat right or you wake up crying or different things like that i know happen. Uh, You feel anxious and afraid, maybe even guilty or suspicious of things because you just don't know uh, what's coming. And and you've been through just such challenging emotional trauma. Mm -hmm. Uh, Headaches, you can get physical stuff like headaches, heart palpitations, panic attacks. Um, Some of the other things that happen are behavior changes. And you talked about Isaiah's anger Mm -hmm. and, and, and when that, you know, that's just a part of PTSD and it can be healed. Yes. I want to put that out there to our listeners. You can heal your PTSD. I just, I, I'm a survivor. You're a survivor, Christine and Isaiah is, and it's not just magically going to go away one day. No, you know, I I've gotten through it. I'm on the other side. I live in joy now. And, but every now and then I get those hints of the, of the traumas that I went through. And Mm -hmm. some days I even give my tears to God. It's like, I, I just need to cry right now. Yeah. Uh, So some of the other things include mood swings, Mm -hmm. Uh, or you might feel hopeless or numb. Mm-hmm. You might feel bad about yourself and you might've taken on some negative beliefs about yourself, others in the world that you really want to uncover and really find the truth about those. Yes. One of the hardest things is suicidal thoughts and feelings that you just don't want to go on or you, you shouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. And I just want to talk about that for a minute because if you as our listener are feeling any of this and any of the suicidality, any thoughts even, make sure you are seeking out professional help. Mm-hmm. You don't have to feel this way. And there are people out there who want to help you get to the other side and you can. So I just wanted to 
put that out there. And I also want to say that this podcast is not in any way a place for us to treat you or fix it for you or heal you. If you're feeling this, please seek help. It's so important for you to have your peace back. That's just really, really necessary. So what, what of these things that I've talked about, can you relate to? <laughs> I, Ma- <laughs> she you know, I laugh because I, I, I actually in this six year time frame in look back, I fit every single one you hit on every single one. I have had yeah. negative thoughts. I've had thoughts of suicide. I've had struggles with um, momentary, you know, in and out of depression. I've had mm-hmm. my son say, you know, why did I survive and other kids don't? My husband yeah. and I, you know, we, we can spiral very quickly in a, maybe a five minute time period if we start sort of hashing through uh, days of treatment and difficulty. We have actually experienced everything. I have had anxiety. I have had um, just a, a where that total feeling of loss of sense of control in my family unit I have had where my my thoughts are someone else is going to get sick I had my three-year-old sorry our other son full battery of testing when he was three years old because I he had a fever he had a high fever so I called our oncologist and I said he's displaying the exact same symptoms as our son Isaiah and our oncologist said bring him up here Peace of yeah, mind is yeah. worth a million dollars. Absolutely. And that's the thing. When you're feeling that stuff, it's like, let's just go get the peace of mind that's and right. then we can move forward as opposed to just living every day going wonder, wonder, wonder and hanging on to that anxiety. So good mm-hmm. for you. That's yeah. Great <laughs> stuff. Oh my goodness. So you've had all of those and what have you done to get through them? And do you feel like you are getting to the other side? Yes. For what am I doing is we have a great counselor. We have had family counseling. We've had individual counseling. Our son has continuously had counseling. He's had on and off seasons, but he has always had consistent counseling with and throughout a year of time. Um, I also have been on uh, an anti-anxiety, low-dose anti-anxiety Mm -hmm. Um, which helps so much. Mm -hmm. And uh, we also get away. We take vacations. Um, Not everyone can do that, but everyone can get away, even just disconnect from um, the world. You know, it's just taking your family down to a park if you can't go to Florida or wherever. Yes. To get away and spend some time as just the, the family unit and to be able to say to each other that we're going to heal from this. We're all going to get through it together. That's right. That's right. And you know, trauma does affect the physical body. Mm -hmm. It affects the chemistry of your physical body. Mm -hmm. So if you can get help through that, some people don't need meds. They just need to acknowledge what's going on, but some people really do. And there's no shame in that. There's no shame in that. It, you know, if you need, if you need it, you need it. Absolutely. Yeah. And it does for for me, um, in my life as a mom, I really actually see the difference in how I behave or react towards my, my kids when they come um, to me with anything, it's a, it's a huge relief to know that my overreactions aren't there anymore because my anxiety is way less. And yeah. the, this underlying feeling that I was going to lose control or semblance over my family and my home isn't at the surface like it, it was before. And that is a huge part because I have medication that helps mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. to be open. Um, I think our culture has really changed in the last 30 years overall with being able to talk openly about the help yes. that is available to us and that mm-hmm. it's okay to receive it. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of my favorite treatments for post-traumatic stress disorder is EMDR, eye movement 
desensitization reprocessing Mm, that changes it just changes the chemistry of the body and the mind it's kind of phenomenal Mm. I I've done that with clients I had a a client at one time who couldn't get on an airplane she's Mm -hmm. like there's no way I can get on an airplane we went through the EMDR and the protocol and she was like came back from her trip she's like it was no problem (laughs) yes I was like yes And I know I've experienced that personally myself in my own work, that EMDR is a, an amazing process. So again, for our listeners out there um, to know, find yourself an EMDR therapist that I know that's a great, a great way to heal traumas. So what a fabulous interview this has been. I just so appreciate your honesty, your transparent, your transparency, um, your heart, um, your heart for God. And just the, you know, some people would be like an angel, but she saw an angel. What's that? What's up with that? Are they, are they okay? (laughs) You know, I've also become okay with people having their own thoughts and people, um, thinking the way they want to think. And, us living our best life possible. There you go. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's all about. Yep. That's what it's all about. So your goodbye past hello purpose to tie into this, um, your goodbye past. Can you give us a, a glimpse of what that would look like for you? What, I mean, we have, I think it's really important that we don't um, throw the baby out with the bathwater, if you will. There are strengths that we take on as a result of our traumas Mm -hmm. and that we need to bring along with us. Mm -hmm. But we, there's, there are things in our past that have happened that we need to let go of. I focus on the negative beliefs about who we are, what others are in the world. Can you, can you uh, think of, and I'm putting you on the spot here, so I apologize for that. Can you think of a, a part of all of this that you've been able to say goodbye to and then how this would tie into um, saying hello to, to a new purpose in your life. Yeah. The two words that come to my mind are goodbye to death mm. and hello to perseverance. Ah, so when you say goodbye to death, Cause we're all going to die. Right. <laughs> what, tell me what you, what were you, what you're thinking about the fear of death, the fear of it. Oh, yeah. Because and we have how- been, we have been in that Valley of the shadow of death and Absolutely. it did not overcome us. And we persevered mm-hmm. through it. And the perseverance is a continuous process. It's a continuous race. So it is goodbye to the fear of death and hello to persevering in our faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that faith piece. When you have God and any listeners who are going, uh, I don't get this whole God thing. Listen, I was there. So mm-hmm. I totally get it. I totally get it. Uh, but I, God changes lives. Yep. He gets you from those traumas that you feel like you can't get past and can't get over. He gets you to the other side, to that place where you can the life you have and find joy to live Mm -hmm. your life Mm -hmm. again in joy. So, yeah. uh, Wow. This has just been a a great opportunity for our listeners and Mm -hmm. a, a great opportunity for me to just have wonderful conversation with you. You and I could talk for hours. It's never. Yeah, we could. (laughs) I love it. So thank you so much for get into the pottery. So we'll have to do another, (laughs) we'll have to do another podcast uh, (laughs) down the road about um, art therapy and about Mm -hmm. how that, what, what you experienced in your healing Mm -hmm. and even how Isaiah experience some of that art therapy is powerful oh Oh, (laughs) wow so we'll have to do that again would you be willing you bet absolutely I love it do you have any last piece you would like to say to our listeners you know for us the biggest thing that we would testify to is that God changes everything Mm -hmm. and as you mentioned if there are people out there who just are struggling with that whether or not God is really there, if he's really real, if he really hears you, if he's really walking alongside of your life, 
There are trusted people, uh, pastors, uh, Christian counselors, maybe a friend in your path who would love to have those conversations with you. Absolutely. And Absolutely. so for us, that is just really the, the end all message is that we can testify that God has never left us. He didn't forsake us. He didn't leave us. Mm-hmm. And we want that for every single person that we know that we come in contact with, that we would um, have eternal life with them. And that is the most important thing to us. Mm, Absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing your story, for being vulnerable and and sharing those uh, places that we don't talk about very often uh, about that time when you just walked into the bathroom and let it go. uh, When you saw your son just on that edge of death, what a, what a story, one that others need to hear, and they need to hear the hope that's on the other side. That's right. Yeah. Well, this is Debbie Kaminsky with Goodbye Past Hello Purpose and Christine Lawson, and we are saying goodbye. Tune in next week, and we'll have another inspiring story, opportunity for you to gather more information from me professionally and learn about what you can do to say goodbye past and hello to purpose. Hey, thanks for stopping by today. Make sure you subscribe to our show. And if you liked this episode, please leave me a review so that we can continue to bring good quality guests. If you want more from me, just go to goodbyepast.com and you'll find wisdom, tools, and inspiration to help you say goodbye to your past and hello to purpose. Join us again next week for more tips and insights that help you get through life's challenges.